0: you're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. A couple weeks ago, I got home from, uh, from the church on a weekday, just a normal work day, and noticed some areas of my lawn weren't looking great, so... Um that's what you do when you're a dad. So I attached the hose to the side of the house and I moved the sprinkler to where it needed to be and turned on the water and let it start going and then began a number of those valiant missions into the wet zone, you know, to try not to get sprayed but to move the sprinkler before it comes back the other way and and just trying to get as much grass as possible. So after the sprinkler was spread was set, I, I went and grabbed another hose and hooked it up to another part of the house and started watering a different area outside of the wet zone because it wasn't getting enough water either. And my, wa- my wife was watching all of this go on, and, and uh, I was standing there as I stood watering uh, one section. The sprinkler's going behind me. My dress shoes are wet. I've got in my khakis, you know, from work, and I've got a pullover sweater on, and I'm out there doing yard work dressed like that. And as I'm spraying the yard, I looked at my wife and I said, I am officially my father. <laughs> and my dad was like most, the yard mattered. It makes a statement about your spiritual character, you know, how your grass looks and how it's mowed. And I never understood that until more recent years, but the transformation, I do think it's complete because... Just last night, we were watching with uh, everyone who's at the house. Paranels were staying with us. And so we turned on America's Funniest Home Videos. And someone was falling over a scooter or tripping over a dog or some calamity. But I didn't even notice that part. I made this audible comment watching this video. And I said, ooh, they have nice grass. So kind of embarrassing. But, you know, I got it from my dad. Now, I received a lot more than that from my dad, I have to say. He loves God and he puts God first in his life. I learned that from my dad. I learned how to love God and and lead your family in a godly way. And I'm not saying I do it all right. I'm just saying I had a great example of it. I learned how to let God's word be your life's guidebook. I learned how to trust God in difficult times. and, And the desire to have a nice lawn is very far down the list of things I got from him. But it does prove this point that children reflect their father's. And right now, we live, in, we're watching a generation unravel before our eyes. I mean, this is a, a unique time in our country's history. I keep asking myself while I'm watching the news and seeing the people in the streets and rioting and burning down buildings and just the anger there. And I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking, if my dad knew I was out there, he would not leave me out there. Where are the dads? I can't help but think that dads have dropped the ball and maybe they, weren't, maybe they weren't present in the home. Maybe they were there, but they didn't take the lead at home. Maybe we've become so child-centric, and this is happening in our country, we're so child-centric that everything that is good or most convenient or preferential for the child, thats where that's the decision-making process right there, what our children want. The biggest problem, though, I believe, is that the average dad in the average home no longer raises their family according to God's Word. We're seeing the results of family units without God. And if there's any salvaging our country, there needs to be a shift in understanding what the right kind of father looks like. And you might say, we we need a new dad paradigm. Now, a paradigm is a typical example or or model of something. It's This would be, a paradigm is that's the model. That is the the best example there. It's also a perspective or way of looking at things. And I think our culture's dad paradigm is off. What they think a father looks like is nothing like what a father is supposed to look like. The media says dad is dumb. The feminist movement says dad is unnecessary. The young generation says dad is out of touch. Most families think dad is disinterested. Many others think dad's not even around. Our culture's paradigm or idea of the typical father is so far off, it's not even humorous anymore. And we have to be careful of defining the right kind of dad, having a paradigm that's based on culture or our own personal experiences. And you may have grown up in a good home and a good, solid home with hardworking, loving, moral father and mother and and that that's still not the only way to shape your dad's your dad paradigm. I mean, because there are a lot of good homes and moral homes and hardworking dads out there that did not ha- include God in their homes. We have to be careful to assume that our experiences or our preferences formulate or form the right kind of dad paradigm. As Bible believers, I'm just going to say it this way: As Bible believers, we uh, we accept that the most accurate glimpse into correct fatherhood comes from God's word. See, the Bible gives very clear direction to fathers, and we have enough material here to shape our our paradigm. Now, I am also thankful that there are plenty of dads out there that took this scriptural paradigm of what a father should look like, and they lived it out in front of their children. Because I was raised in a home like that, And many of you in this room right now, you were as well. I know not everyone has that privilege. I certainly do not take it for granted. I'm thankful, though, that there are dads that read God's word and know what it says and then live it out in front of their children. I'm thankful for it. We could also then just turn to the Bible And there are are places after places that tell us how dads should deal with their children, how dads should lead their home. I think about Deuteronomy 6 and and how parents have the responsibility of teaching God's word to their children day and night. We could turn to the book of Proverbs and and read from a dad to a son all of the wisdom that Solomon gave his son. We could go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and look at Paul's instructions about how a father should raise his children. There are countless places that we could go and we could have a good, solid dad paradigm shaped from God's word. But we're gonna look at a place that most people may not think of it that way. And that is we're gonna be in the book of Genesis 2 today. And you say, well, what does that have to do with fatherhood? Well, the relationship between God and Adam was a father-son relationship. And we could uh, look over in Genesis 5 real quick. And I want just to read you how the how. This, this part is written to let you see there are parallels. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. Do you see the thought process or the flow there? It's basically saying in the same way that God created Adam, his son, a man, in his own image, in his own likeness. Then Adam went out, and in his own likeness, and in his own image, then he had a son named Seth. So there's a parallel that God is the father of Adam. And if that's not enough, we could go to the book of Luke, and I won't right now, and read Luke's genealogies in chapter 3, and it goes through all of the genealogy of Joseph. And in the last verse of chapter 3, it ends up with this phrase. And the last thing on the list is Adam, which was the son of God. So what we have in Genesis 2 is the very first look at a father-son relationship in God's word. God was the first father. He's still our father. I'm thankful, by the way. How we dealt with his son, Adam, here gives us a glimpse into how a perfect holy, all-knowing, omniscient father would deal with his son. And in my opinion, there's no better way to shape our dad paradigm than how the greatest father of all time would do it right here. The perfect father, the ultimate father. So I want to look then at chapter 2 and and the establishment of the first father-son relationship. And I want to just very simply look at five marks of a great father from the best father. Five marks of a great father from the best father. And you can write these down. Dads, I encourage you to. I think it would be a help if you write these things down as something to remember. Number one, a great father is soul conscious. Look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now understand... Adam had to have a body to do what God was asking him to do. We find out he had responsibilities. He had to have a vessel through which he would function and exist. But God did not just make Adam a body. I want you to understand that God did not just make Adam a body. He took the time to breathe his life into Adam and animate that dust of the ground and turn it into a person. It wasn't just a body. I mean, God—it it is an incredible body. The potter with the clay... Uh, God created this incredible, miraculous, complex body with processes that occur automatically, like brain function and, and your heart beating and your lungs breathing. But as incredible as that creation was, God did not just create a body and say, that looks great, they'll just stop right there. He didn't just make him a physical form. No, it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God did not just make a body, He breathed life into Adam, and he became a person that could relate to God and reflect God's image. God wanted his son Adam to be more than a body. And you know, folks, dads, truth is we need some dads in our culture that are more interested in who their kids are spiritually than what they can do physically. See, I'm all for sports, and I'm all for academics, and I'm all for skills and abilities and development, but we live in a world focused on what children can grow up to do instead of focusing on what children go up to become. See, our dads, our children, they'll get plenty of encouragement to play ball. They're gonna get lots of encouragement to go out there and earn a scholarship. They're gonna get lots of encouragement to, to build a trade and build a skill that they can use. But who's going to challenge them to live a life that reflects the image of God above all else? Where are they gonna get that? They'll get plenty of inspiration to get good grades and scholarships. Who will inspire them to have a meaningful walk with God? Very few sources will be telling them to prioritize their spiritual life. The best dads aren't content with children that that only develop the externals. They'll stop at nothing to raise children who prioritize their spiritual lives. And I think it's sad in a lot of churches and a lot of Christian homes. We're raising bodies first. And somewhere down the list, where is their soul and their spirit? And we flip the script. We say we prioritize the inward person, but compare, compare the time and investment we make into their spiritual lives compared to baseball practice and basketball practice and academics and strength training, and hunting, and fishing, and music lessons. And there's not one thing wrong with any of those things that I just mentioned. Unless they are more important in that child's life than their spiritual life, than their walk with God, then we have flipped the script. First look into the ideal dad paradigm through the best father who's ever existed is that a, a great dad is soul conscious. Your child is first a soul with the capacity to know God. Don't rob them of that highest and most satisfying calling by convincing them it's more important to win games and get scholarships and develop their bodies. Those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm just saying if you do them at the expense of their spiritual lives, we are creating hollow offspring. Simply bodies. With no no focus on the soul, and if you'll make the spiritual your priority, it'll help you make countless other decisions along the way. A great father is soul conscious. A great father is responsibility oriented. That's number two. A great father is responsibility oriented. Adam's responsibility was the garden. We already read it, how God put him, uh, God made the heavens and the earth, and he made the garden, and there was not a man to till the ground in verse five. And then in verse eight, chapter two, it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he, this is explaining that God created this garden and he put Adam in the garden with a responsibility to tend the garden. His job was to dress it and to keep it. And God created, created his son Adam to have responsibilities. He placed him in the midst of that perfect garden with taking the task of taking care of it. He had a defined responsibility. He was also tasked, and we won't read it again, with naming all the animals. And that would have been a tough job. I mean, Adam had a lot of work to do. The point is that God gave Adam responsibility. And here's the trend in our day. The trend in our day is for kids, teenagers, to sleep till about noon, wake up, turn on the Xbox, or turn on Netflix, And do that until bedtime the next morning, maybe two or three in the morning. And that's how they're spending their summers. I know this starts to get hard, but listen, dads, if the first father shapes our paradigm, then we as Bible believers should engage our children in clearly defined, consistent tasks and responsibilities. Christians have bought into the mindset that kids and teenagers just exist, they're just along for the ride, and as long as they don't cause too much trouble, they can just live in our homes without contribution. But that's not a Genesis 2 dad paradigm. If anyone lived in an environment in which they could just simply kick back and enjoy a life, it was Adam. But the perfect father gave him responsibilities. Dads, if we're going to raise children that rise above cultural expectations, we need to give them responsibilities to the, and lay them out and lay out our expectations and follow up to make sure they're getting it done. If God thought his son Adam would benefit from it, who are we to think that our sons and daughters wouldn't benefit from it? When it comes to responsibilities in your home, whose paradigm, moms and dads, dads especially, whose paradigm is defining the way that you give your children responsibilities in your home? Things that were once considered privileges like video games and devices and screen time, theirs are now considered rights. The default is screen. The exception is work. Well, maybe it's time to flip those back and make the default responsibility, because it was for Adam, and the exception, the downtime. I'm sure Adam had downtime, but it was was after responsibility was done. And I think we would do our homes a great service if we would flip back to the way it should be and say, no, the downtime is the privilege that you get to enjoy after you do the rest of it. Mark's of a great father. He is soul conscious. He's responsibility oriented. And third, a great father is boundary minded. Boundary minded. Our culture, I mean, we'll read this here. It says, at the end of verse 9, that tr- he put in the midst of the garden the tree of, good, of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he, verses 16 and 17, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. From the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And our culture would look at a dad like that and say, boy, you really are hard on your kids. You're really gonna damage your children by giving them boundaries like that. Don't be too hard on your kids. Let them develop into who they feel they should be. Don't give them moral constraints. Let them be their own person. And that same thinking has caused us to be in a culture that's letting ch- children choose their gender before they can tie their shoes. See, that philosophy has then, it's, it's come, to, to come to the, to the forefront and we're seeing the fruit of it, and it's bred a generation of young people that don't like it when anybody tells them something that's different than they wanna hear. That's our culture right now. This generation of young people, and they've got in their minds what they want to hear, and if anybody says anything different than what they believe, they're in the streets and they're throwing a fit about it. And when they were toddlers, they were doing it at Walmart in the aisles well now that they're grown up they're doing it in the streets of minneapolis and they're burning down buildings it's the same mindset but it would have been a lot easier for a dad to step in when his toddler was 25 or 30 pounds than it is now that they're in their 20s and they're burning down local businesses it's the same mindset now this environment it should convince us of the importance of boundaries not that we need to get rid of boundaries the first and greatest father, he gave clear boundaries to Adam. He said, God gave Adam all that, he said, first, here's all that's allowed. He said, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. And then he came in and said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we have all these people that now, they're, in, they're saying, well, religion is just about a God that says no. He's a no kind of father. Everything you want to do, he's like, no, no, sorry, no, no this, no that, no fun. But I want you to understand the order here in 16 and 17. God gave Adam all of the positives first. He, he said, here are all the countless options that you have. Here are the countless yeses. Every tree of the, in the garden, you can go enjoy it. There's just one, one tree that you are not to eat thereof. And yet they say that God is a no kind of God. God. God's a yes God. He gives us a no so we can get to the yeses. God's reason for the boundary was not misery. His reason for the boundary was protection. He didn't want Adam to die. He wanted Adam to live so they could have a relationship. Listen, dads, don't let the world's dad paradigm convince you that boundaries are hindrances to your children, that they're harmful for your children. Boundaries have always been God's way of protecting the ones he loves the most. In God's eyes, boundaries are about the yes. God knew that if Adam ate the tree and died, there would be no more relationship. So he gave him boundaries for protection and safety. But the world sees the no and calls a dad with boundaries a bad parent. If we follow the father's paradigm, we'll embrace boundaries as spiritual protection. Dads, I just want to tell you this. You're not a bad dad if you have and enforce godly house rules. I mean, if you you tell your children, here's our house rule, it's respect or honesty or obedience or kindness or all of the above. And you make your children honor those rules, you're not a bad dad. You're not a bad dad if you follow godly morals and require them of your children. Dads, you're not a bad dad if when your children break the rules, you practice reasonable, godly, biblical discipline and consequences. You're not a bad dad. You're not a bad dad if you train your children to obey you even from an early age. And by the way, from the time that they can crawl around, you can start training them to obey you. We have some parents, I think they wait far too long to begin training their children to obey them. You're not a bad dad if you refuse to let your children do what they want instead of letting God's word shape their life and behavior. You're not a bad dad if you don't let your kids watch things that would be questionable. You're not a bad dad if you make your children dress a certain way to highlight who they are in Christ rather than following trends or being immodest. You're not a bad dad. The world is telling dads they're bad if they have boundaries, but Genesis 2 tells us the best dads do. I'd love to spend more time on this, but I think boundaries are something that we have let slip in our culture, and boundaries are not for um, pharisaical standards, they're for protection. And we'll get into another point here that I think will help balance it. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to expect children to follow them. It cannot be harmful if God the Father did it. Don't let the world tell you it is. We need some dads to step out of the friend zone and into father zone. The great father is soul conscious and he's responsibility oriented and he's boundary minded and forth. and this one seems to maybe be kind of out of, maybe out of left field a little bit, but I think you'll see once we get down to it. A great father is marriage-focused. A great father is marriage-focused. See, God was concerned about Adam's marriage relationship, and we can read verse 18. The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make in him help meet for him. And then he goes down, and he's talking about in verses 20, it says... Uh, and Adam gave names, let's see, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Listen, this is important to understand. The marriage relationship mattered to God. See, God wanted Adam to have a partner, someone to help him, someone equipped for Adam specifically. So God took great care in providing Eve for Adam. The big principle here is that marriage matters to God. The husband and wife relationship is essential to God's plan for mankind to reproduce and replenish the earth with children that will bear God's image. There are a couple of applications here. First, God prepared his son, Adam, to be married. He talked about the importance of Adam needing a relationship. He wanted a certain kind of wife for Adam. He wanted a help meet. He obviously explained how the marriage relationship worked because down toward the end of the chapter, Adam's talking about how the marriage relationship works. Listen, dads should strive to raise children that value the marriage relationship, especially in the day and age that we live in where marriage is being devalued, then we need to let our children see both modeled but also through God's word that the marriage relationship matters greatly to God. Raise them in such a way that you have the right kind of spouse in mind for them, just like God did. In other words, great dads raise their children in such a way that they'll be prepared for a great spouse. I mean, consider, dads, consider the kind of spouse that you want your son or you want your daughter to marry and let that help you raise them. Because if you don't mind at all, if they just marry the first one that walks in off the street, you'll raise them a different way. But if in your mind you're thinking, no, I want them to marry somebody godly, I want them to marry somebody that puts God first, I want them to attract somebody that will lead them toward God, not away from God, that will affect the way that you raise them. Marriage is not an afterthought. It's not unimportant. Who they marry will be the biggest decision they make in their life after after their salvation. We should already be praying for who they marry if they're not married. Too many parents view this as no big deal. But marrying somebody that doesn't value the Lord or doesn't value marriage could lead to their spiritual ruin. Raise them to have high expectations of the kind of person They could marry someday. If it doesn't matter, let them wear what they want. If it doesn't matter to you who they marry, let them act as they please. If it doesn't matter who they marry, dads, let your daughters just choose what what she wears and how she presents herself. If it doesn't matter, let your sons, dads, let your sons date whoever they want to. If it doesn't matter who they marry, just let them do their own thing. But if it does matter, then we need to prepare them for the right kind of spouse. Dads, understand this. The best preparation you can implement in your home is to put your marriage first. So the applications here, again, prepare them for their spouse. But second, put your own marriage first. See, our children are important, absolutely. They're very important. But folks, dads, your marriage has got to be that primary relationship. Adam said a man would leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and those two become one. And that means the marriage relationship is priority number one above all the other family relationships. Dads, your best asset in raising your children for the Lord is for that strongest relationship for you to be with the person they call mom. Someone said the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. I mean, after God... Love her the most. Put her first. Too many homes are so child-centric and therefore imbalanced, and it's about the children, and once the children are gone, there's nothing left for that couple to hold on to. A great dad is marriage-focused. Your sons, dads, your sons are going to see your, your desire for your relationship with your wife to be exalted and lifted up, they're going to see that and they're going to follow suit and they'll treat their future wife the same way someday. Your daughters will respect you for that kind of commitment and they'll seek a mate that does the same for them some way. Listen, the best help that I can give and that you can give your children is to love God first and love your wife second. I love my children dearly, but my dad, parad- my dad paradigm... If I'm building it based on Genesis 2, it says, put my wife first. Our culture needs dads that are marriage-focused. And then the last mark. So they're soul-conscious, responsibility-oriented, boundary-minded, marriage-focused. And finally, a great father is relationship-driven. Relationship-driven. God created mankind so he could have a relationship. Think about this. Why else would he create a man and woman and put them in the garden? What does the almighty creator, the God of the universe, have to gain... ...except that he enjoys fellowship with people? Genesis 3.8 says he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day... ...and Adam and Eve at that point they had sinned. In Genesis chapter 3, they had sinned and they were hiding... ...but that implies that they knew God was going to come walking. Which implies that Adam and Eve and God had a relationship of fellowship. And it wasn't inconsistent... He came to walk in the cool of the day and they were hiding because they knew that he was on his way. They were expecting him. They they had fellowship with him on a regular basis. God created mankind for a relationship of fellowship. And we could go to 1 John 1 and see how that it says our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve were created for fellowship and folks, you were created for fellowship with God. Your, your, Your highest calling in life is to walk with God to have fellowship, a relationship with God. And I look around the room and I don't know who all is in this room this morning, but I have to say this, that you'll never have a relationship with the heavenly father until you receive Christ's payment for your sins. If you want to fulfill your highest calling in life, then you must come before God and say, I know that I'm a sinner and I've broken your law and there's nothing I can do for myself, but your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and paid my sin debt to give me an opportunity to be restored and have fellowship with you again, which is the highest calling of my life. So God, I come and submit to you now. I receive Jesus Christ as my savior so that I can have my relationship with you restored. Somebody in this room this morning, I wouldn't be surprised in a group this size that you don't know that you're on your way to heaven. You don't know that if you right now, if you died, that you would spend eternity with God or separated from God. And if you've never taken a step of faith by trusting in Jesus Christ's payment for your sins, then when you die, you'll never get to experience the fellowship you were meant to experience with God. A great father is relationship-driven just like God. A great dad is most interested in a relationship of love with his children. Dad, even though you're the authority and the leader and you've been tasked with certain responsibilities in the home, your greatest contributions will be undermined if you don't exhibit love to your children. I'm going to say that again just for the distraction's sake. Dad, you're the authority and you're the leader in the home and you've been tasked with certain responsibilities, but your greatest contributions will be undermined if you don't exhibit love To your children. God so loved the world. A desire to have a relationship with us turned into sacrifice. And your desire to have a relationship with your children is the strongest bond you have. Boundaries are important. But listen, you're more than a taskmaster, Dad rules are helpful but fellowship can't be neglected in the process law matters but so does grace and our children need to hear our rules but they need to see our love god removed adam and eve from the garden due to sin but he did so with the promise of restoration from the very beginning because the relationship mattered the most to our father and then he sent jesus christ so the sins could be forgiven and they could be fully restored He wants a relationship with us. And we need some dads to focus on the relationship with their children again. Dads, you're more than a breadwinner. Work matters and work is important. But we need some fathers who will set aside opportunities to make some extra money and take time to be present in their children's lives. Dads, don't come home and plop down on the couch and ignore your kids at the end of a hard day. I know you're tired. I know you've worked hard. But those children need to see that their dad wants a relationship with them. Dads, be home for supper. And when you do sit down to eat, turn off the cell phone. Maybe leave it in the room. Turn it off. Set it aside and talk to your children. Listen to them. Ask them questions. Spend quantity and quality time. It all matters. They need to see that we value them and we want to be around them and we desire a relationship. And you say, well, you don't know my children. I can only handle small amounts every day. Well, maybe if their dad was more present, you could handle them a little bit more. I believe much of the chaos in our country happening in streets and cities right now is because we have a couple of generations with generally absent fathers. Dads who are either not present physically or not present emotionally. And If we want to turn this around and raise a generation that seeks righteousness, we need dads who put a relationship first. That's the proper dad paradigm. Listen, the world has a faulty view of dads and we're wrapping it up. We need to take our cues from the first and perfect father. He was soul conscious. He was responsibility oriented. He was boundary minded. He was marriage focused and he was relationship driven. Maybe your dad paradigm has been molded by your own experiences. It's been affected by your preferences. It's established by your, the culture around you. Anything that cannot be traced. listen, If it can't be traced to a biblical worldview, it will lead to a faulty dad paradigm which will likely not produce godly offspring. So if you want children that grow up to despise God and reject his teachings and even resent you, follow your own paradigm. Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But if you want to put your children in the best position to love God... To put him first, to embrace his truth, and appreciate you for it. Follow this first, perfect, greatest father's paradigm. There's no way, better way to pattern our lives as dads than after our heavenly father's example. Let's stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation in just a moment. And obviously the first application today is to dads. And if one of these areas you have not been what you're supposed to be, I want to ask you to get it right with the Lord today. If you have not been soul conscious, you've been focused less less on on a soul and more on a body, then it's time to get that right. If you haven't been responsibility oriented, you haven't, been diligent about giving your children tasks and responsibilities, it's good for them. If you haven't been boundary-minded and you, you've lost sight of the fact that your children need those boundaries for protection, if you haven't been marriage-focused either in your own marriage or haven't been training them or raising them to, to find the right spouse, or maybe you haven't been relationship-driven and your relationship with your children is distant, it's not what it needs to be. Dads, let's get these things right today. Maybe you're right in all these areas and everything's good here. Well, maybe you just want to ask God to protect you from losing sight of what matters and having the faulty dad paradigm. Maybe you say, well, I don't have children, so this doesn't really apply. But you have a fa- heavenly father that's all of these things for you. Maybe this morning is a time for you to come and say, um, Father, thank you for being the kind of father that loves me enough to be soul conscious and boundary-minded and relationship-driven. And you might say, well, my children are all grown and I don't really know. No, there's still things in this list in these great marks that you can effect change in your children with even if they're grown. I just want to encourage you, if God's spoken to you about how this applies in your life, would not you give him the, the courtesy of a response this morning. I'm going to pray, then the instruments will play, then you'll have an opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a great example of the right kind of dad. The marks of a great father are so undeniable. And yet yeah, I look at myself and I compare myself to these marks and I fall, fall so woefully short. God, help me, please. Help me to want to be the best dad I can be, but not to model it after culture or my own expectations, but God, after your, your paradigm, forgive me in these areas that I've failed you. Pray you'd help us to have dads that would say, no, I want to be a dad that patterns his, his fatherhood after the great heavenly father. God, if there's someone in this room today and they don't know that they're saved, they don't know that they could call God their father, would you please lead them to this morning, Holy Spirit, work on their hearts. Help them to be humbled before you and willing to make a change so that they can finally enjoy the fellowship they were meant to enjoy, both now and then in eternity. God, we humble ourselves before you and ask you to work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.